Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Another episode of the Empire State of Sports podcast, part of the Say It Again Network. I'm Adam Danker, and before we bring in in Jordan, let's just talk about our sponsors today. Support for this podcast is brought to you by Manscaped, who is the best in men's below the waist grooming. Manscaped offers pre- precision engineer tools for your family jewels. They obsess over their technology developments to provide you with the best tools for your grooming experience. Manscaped is trusted by over two million men worldwide. Right now, you got to capitalize on this today, folks. We have an exclusive offer for our listeners here at the Empire State of Sports. You, you get 20% off plus free shipping with the code say it again at manscaped.com. Manscaped, Manscaped hooked us up with a bunch of tools, formulations from their perfect package 3.0 kit. Uh, we got the lawnmower 3.0, we got some boxers, we got we got a, a shirt that all very, very comfortable for us here we're actually both wearing them as we're podcasting right now so remember as you head into march madness where some of these college teams get to some hairy situations don't get into one yourself so trim that junk of yours go on to manscape.com use promo code say it again get 20 percent off plus free shipping with the code say it again your balls will thank you all right jordan so glad to have you on as always uh, yes, sir. We, we got a lot to talk about on today's show. Um, you were live tweeting during the Brooklyn Nets game uh, as they were playing my beloved Knicks, our beloved Knicks, actually. Yes, sir. Uh, so you basically you were there in spirit. I was at the I Ranger like game. I was at the Ranger game last night at the Garden. Very strange atmosphere. Uh, we spoke about it a little bit before the uh, we hit the record button. We'll get into that in just a little bit. Plus, we'll we'll dive into the whole first day of uh, NFL free agency what we think about the Jets making the moves. Giants made a move that I wasn't really ultimately surprised. I was surprised that they jumped in on it on the first day. Uh, we'll get into that. And then some mailbag as usual. So let's start off with 
the Nick game last night, and then we'll jump into uh, my little experience at the Garden as well. So uh, I didn't get a chance to watch the Knicks. Uh, I believe the Nets won last night, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, they did, 115-112. I'll kind of take you through a little recap here. Mm -hmm. So first off, Brooklyn couldn't miss anything that they looked at in the first half. Um, It really is amazing watching this team play offense 117 112 excuse me they added two free throws late that i forgot about um it really is amazing watching this brooklyn nets team play offense because they move the ball so effortlessly while still being able to isolate and allow james harden and kyrie irving to do their thing they put them in pick and rolls they reverse the ball. They will find open looks. It, it is a, a joy to watch this team play offense at the moment. They are finding weaknesses, exploiting matchups, and really executing on what the defense gives them. Last night, uh, the Knicks in the first half decided that they were going to give the Nets Jeff Green. Any shot Jeff Green wanted was his to take. That was they were going to take away Harden on the dribble drive. They were going to take away Kyrie on the dribble drive. And Jeff Green, if he was open, have a shot. Well, Jeff Green started the game off on fire. Uh, Jeff Green had 14 points in the first quarter. He was, I don't think he missed in the first quarter as well. An absolute beautiful display of basketball with him and James Harden in pick and roll. Green finished the game with 20 points. He was two of two from three. Joe Harris added some threes, but the story was Kyrie Irving, 13 of 18 from the field. He had 34. Harden had a 21-point triple-double where he had 21-15-15, which is just a monster stat line. And despite all of this, when you talk about the storyline of the game, The story was the fact that the Knicks never went away. The Knicks got down by 15 points. They'd cut it to 12. The Knicks got down by 17 points. They'd bring it back into 12. Then they made a little bit of run in the third quarter. Nets pushed back. Knicks closed it at 12. Then the Knicks made a big run in the fourth quarter, made the game interesting. The adjustments that Tom Thibodeau made, this was Tom Thibodeau's best coaching game of the year by far. He, his rotations were spot on. He had a good feel of when to pull guys. He actually snuck in a rest for Julius Randle in the fourth quarter while still being on the comeback trail and kept it a close game. So that was a really interesting move. The Nets, the Knicks were down five with about 20 seconds left and they trapped James Harden, forced him to call a timeout. Then they trapped the inbound again, forced another timeout. And then instead of fouling when the ball went into the front court as James Harden ran to get the ball right near the sideline, they trapped. They brought a three-man trap. Harden couldn't get rid of the ball. There was a jump ball. Knicks win the jump, go down, score a layup, and then trap again. They didn't foul in either spot. So many teams in that 20-second mark just automatically foul and just try to figure it out on the offensive end and hope for Mr. Free Throw or two. That works in college. Because college kids, I mean, I say it all the time, you know, since we're right around the time of March Madness, I say it all the time, put, make 19 year old kids hit free throws on national television. I don't care if that kid's a 95% free throw shooter, make 19 year old kids hit free throws on national television. That doesn't really work in the NBA. NBA guys hit their free throws. The Knicks decided, well, screw this. We're going to trap and we're going to make you make a play with the basketball instead of just giving you a free 15 foot you know, in rhythm jumper with you just standing there. 
And it worked. The Knicks got a held ball. The Knicks got a two jump balls after they reversed a challenge. And they had a possession to tie the game. And Julius Randle got the ball and poked away from him from Kyrie Irving. The storyline from this game, and the reason that we're going so in-depth on both the Knicks and the Rangers, Adam's going to take the Rangers, and I'm obviously taking the Knicks. The reason we're going so in-depth is recording recording this on Tuesday, so it's kind of that recap kind of segment that you would hear or or, or listen to or see on any of the national talk shows. Um, the Knicks are exactly where they want to be, and Brooklyn is exactly where they want to be. Because Brooklyn showed championship medal by getting a defensive stop, which is their key to their entire season. Adams talked about it on the show a number of times. Can they play enough defense when it counts? It counted. It was a big game atmosphere, despite the fact that there were not a lot of fans. The Knicks brought the, inten- the intensity and the energy for 48 minutes, and Brooklyn got a key stop down the stretch. From the Knicks' perspective, they never went away. They showed the culture change that is going on in Madison Square Garden right now, where for 48 minutes, it did not matter the score. They were going to battle you on both ends of the floor. They were going to compete. They were not going to quit. And if Tom Thibodeau can land a second star, whoever that is, be it Towns, be it Beal, be it Levine, be it any of the guys we named, whoever that second star is, if he can get that guy to buy into his system, there is a legitimate chance that Tom Thibodeau can bring success for a number of years to the New York Knicks. With that being said, Adam, I didn't watch the Ranger game. So talk me through that one. Yeah. So just walking into the garden and we spoke about before, and for those of you who have not been able to catch a game at the garden just yet, well, it's a weird feeling. You go in there and, and, you know, no disrespect. and, And I mean this, I'm just, I'm just kind of bringing this up as a comparison but I have gone to pretty much every sporting event you could think, mostly basketball and hockey, obviously, at the Garden. Uh, I've been to college hockey games. I've been to, you know, WNBA games, which, you know, stereotypically has the lowest amount of people at the games. And it was, I have to say, for the first time ever, you know, there was less people in there um, than a WNBA game. And the Garden was quiet. Like, you could hear at certain points during the game, not only players on the bench and the coaches yelling, talking, but you could hear fans in other parts of the arena, their conversations to a certain extent when there was just kind of a lull in the action. And it, it was a weird feeling. And, and I think that we're only in, I believe, I believe that was the first game. I believe this was the first game, but fans at the arena, if I'm not mistaken, but regardless, the it definitely you saw early on that the rangers a young team young teams no matter what sport feed off fans energy and the rangers were relying on the fans to to get them pumped up in the first five minutes of the game and it backfired on them uh two goals the flyers already up two nothing in the first five minutes and and by everything that the rangers were doing on the ice was just terrible i mean it was just a disgusting effort on the everybody's part all the lines. Um, and the thing that really stuck out to me with this team is that nobody was moving their feet. And whether we're talking about basketball or we're talking about hockey, that is never a good thing. That not moving your feet consistently is going to eventually get you into trouble. And that's what we saw in this game. Uh, Coach Quinn must have had some sort of uh, miracle on ice. Herb Brooks 
speech at the first intermission because the Rangers came back and were clearly the better team. They outscored the Flyers in the second period, three to one. Um, the issue that I had overall from that point on in the game was the fact that the Rangers were just letting the Flyers back into the game constantly after every time they took the lead. Uh, so that was just an issue within itself. And I chalked that up to just the amount of just young players on this team. And that, that will change over time. Um, you know, and this kind of goes back to our conversation that we had, I believe on the last show or the show before there were moments where the Rangers weren't doing certain things or reacting to certain situations on the ice. And that was a hundred percent on coach Quinn. So that's, those are the kind of things that could land a coach in hot water or potentially lose his job when the GM and, or the executives are evaluating him at the end of the season. Uh, but really the story of the game was what happened. And over time, uh, Kincaid turns over the puck while trying to get out of his own to Panarin. Um, Voracek uh, steals the puck. And just if, if you look at the replay, uh, the way Kincaid uh, reacted to the deke that Voracek put on him, it they didn't match up. It, it was as if this was the greatest deke of all time. Like we're talking Pavel Dasuk level de- uh, deacon out there that was not what happened um and what made it worse if you look closely on the replay is panarin just stopped skating after him now granted panarin was on the ice for probably two and a half minutes at that point and the rangers didn't really help they had a bunch of chances they controlled the puck for most of this ot period and the problem was that they just didn't shoot the puck they did not they the times that they were on the on the power play they just passed it was a stereo typical rangers power play and and any rangers fan who's been a fan for you know forever knows what i'm talking about a lot of passing maybe one or two shots and if they were uh not on net and and speaking of not on net and then that's where i'm going to end my rant is mika zibanejad had a terrible game uh i don't know how many shots he took last night i want to say maybe four or five um but it, it was nothing was on net um yeah i'm looking at the shots right now he only had two shots on goal i think that's very generous uh by whoever was taking down the stats in that game but i mean everything was wide high they weren't even making carter hart work for it so overall a good game to kind of bounce back from that terrible first period but i mean these are the games that you could steal that could potentially make the difference down the road between a, a fourth spot or a five spot in the season so i mean just you know while there was a lot of positives that the knicks had uh, on your end, there was a lot of negatives I saw from the Rangers. Well, let me ask you this, and I'll tie the Nick game in, and then I'll ask you this perspective from the Rangers. I hear a lot of times on the airwaves here about the talent that the Rangers have. And a lot of callers call in and can't figure out why the Rangers are not at the level of the Islanders. Now, one of the answers is Barry Trotz, because Barry mm-hmm. Trotz is a phenomenal coach, no doubt about it. But Ranger fans talk about their young talent all the time, and they talk about how their talent level is there and something's not clicking. The New York Knicks have a lot of young talent right now, and you're seeing the impact that coaching can have on young talent, good coaching. Tom Thibodeau has put together good game plans day after day, week after week. Last night was a phenomenal game plan by Tom Thibodeau. And they was a phenomenal adjustment in the second half defensively and the ability to slow the nets down defensively because the net offense was rolling in the first half and the net offense still beat them when it counted. 
because Kyrie made big shots late and James Harden had a couple big drives late. But again, you know, that's a lack of star power, right? I mean, you just, you just don't have the guy in the NBA. The guy is more important in the NBA than it is mm-hmm. in hockey. And the Knicks right now, Julius Randle had another phenomenal showing where he threw up 33 and 12 along with six assists. And he was almost 50% from the field. And it was nice to see Barrett and quickly play well. And they played excellent together and it all worked out nicely. And the Knicks are building something here. So my question for you with regards to the Rangers is last night is viewed as a negative. And the reason it's viewed as a negative, I think is because the Rangers young group is not doing what the Nick young group is doing, which is stealing that winnable game against a better team. Is that coaching or is it the fact that maybe we overestimated the talent on the squad right now? Well, I think, I, I think last season, just the, the Rangers just overperformed the expectations. I think, I don't think anyone, any of the hockey pundits really predicted that the Rangers were going to make the playoffs or even play as well as they did. Then we, we all knew what was going to come from Panarin. That was expected, but everybody else in that team definitely overperformed and, and, um, yeah, it's definitely showing this year. I think if there's any criticism, and, and I try to not criticize Coach Quinn as much as some other people do, but I, I think, I'm not saying now, but I think if this trend continues, because there was a lot of mistakes that you could chalk up to players just being young last night. And I think eventually the argument that could potentially be made against Quinn is that yes I mean he was very successful in college as a college coach and and developing players from high school up into the professional level but that's something that might work against him now in the NHL because how guys like that sometimes they don't know how to develop guys from remember he's taking he's used to taking high school kids and and junior hockey kids and developing them into NHLers how is he going to develop these these college kids that come out who are now pros and making them take the next step. And I don't think maybe that's a, him being in the college circuit for as long as he was might've worked against them. And, you know, this is definitely a learning curve for him as well and could possibly potentially uh, cost him his job. But um, one thing I did want to ask you about the Nick game last night, and, and then we'll move on from there is the story that happened at the end of the game, uh, Julius Randle getting called for traveling where from what I saw, that was the one clip I saw from last night's game. Mm-hmm. It looked like the ball was deflected when he went up for the shot and he caught it. And I think that's what everybody else thought was mm-hmm. what was your initial reaction um, live during the game when you saw that happen? Uh, yeah, I thought Kyrie tipped it. And I think it was pretty obvious that Kyrie tipped it and the ball came out of his hands. I late last night, Ian Begley put out, I guess, what Scott Foster said in his interview post game, and Scott Foster was the head official, uh-huh. and he said, um, "I just got a quick update from one of my buddies who is watching Twitter like a hawk that Richard Sherman has narrowed it down to the Saints, the Niners, and the Jets. So, mm. gonna we're gonna get there in about <laughs> a couple minutes, but that was why I took a quick pause there. Anyway, back to." the issue with the Knicks and last night. So Julius Randle gets the ball deflected on what was a decently drawn play. He comes to get the ball 
after setting a screen, a great time to get the ball is once you have set a screen. For those that are not familiar with the ins and outs of basketball, the reason is once a screen has been set, the defense's, the defense's attention is on the guy that's coming off that screen. So a guy that becomes a great opportunity to now get the ball is the person that has set the screen, the screener. He sets a screen at the top. He goes and gets the ball. And he had an opportunity to get a shot away, but Kyrie pokes it out of his hands. It looked like it was loose. Scott Foster said that he felt that Julius Randle maintained possession the entire time. And if that's the case, your first move cannot be a dribble. It must be a pass or a shot, even if the ball is deflected. Now, do I think that he maintained possession the entire time? No. The reason that I forgot that this game went to 117-112, and thankfully uh, that was not an important game for some, uh, important play for some, because Brooklyn on the spread on the game was eight and a half. So those two extra free throws didn't actually matter. But the reason that I'd forgotten was because of the attention that it was at the end of that game with Julius Randle kind of approaching the refs, as you had mentioned in that play. Here's my takeaway. You want a guy like that being a part of your rebuild because that guy is here for the long haul. He wants to build something. He cares so much about a game on March 15th that he is ready to go to war over what was 100% a missed call. And he's so confident that he would have made that shot if the call had been called correctly because he put the ball on the deck and was ready to shoot again until he heard a whistle and then immediately looked to pass, which is kind of just the natural reaction of hearing something go off, right? He was ready to shoot again. He had it entirely set up. He was ready to let it, let it fly. That's a guy that I want being a part of this thing for the long haul. And when you talk about the fact that Randall has an $18 million team option with the Knicks, no doubt about taking throw the extension on top of that and keep this guy here because he is ready to go to war whenever you need him. And that's somebody that's important for Tom Thibodeau moving forward. No, I respect the fire and, but he Mm -hmm. has to be, he has to kind of toe the line in that situation because the league could look at how he was trying to make his way to the refs last night as somewhat of a hostile uh, action. And, you know, you never want to get suspended or fined over something like that. So I I respect it. And, and, you know, I, I want it, continue i'm sure we're going to see him continuously act like that in the future especially with games like this and just one last point about the ranger game as we were walking in um you have to take a pcr test before you know 72 hours before you're allowed to enter the arena and every part of me as they were looking at the pcr results obviously they were negative every part of me wanted to say do you know who I am? I'm Patrick Ewing. How, you don't recognize me, <laughs> but I, I kept together. You know, who knows who's listening when you say things like that at the garden? That's true. Uh, we both know Dolan has eyes everywhere. So, yes, all right. he does. but you know what? It was great to be back in the stands. Like I said, it was super strange, but uh, it was better than nothing. Um, so, all right, moving on to the first day of NHL free agency. Before we get into the Jets and the Giants, uh, I guess the biggest story of the day was the, the New England Patriots. I, I think that Belichick has has made his point that what happened last year with Brady and the Bucks, he's 100% taken personal. Um, he's he's not playing around whatsoever, as we could tell. And and right before the show today, uh, if you if you haven't seen yet, he did sign the Patriots did sign tight end Hunter Henry, who 
we discussed on the last show, I would would have loved the Giants to get, but no, now he's a Patriot. And so are the Patriots back? I know it was only one year off for them, but are, are we viewing them as a legitimate threat to the Buffalo Bills? No. Really? Plain and simple, no. Um, I like the moves they've made. I like the addition of Johnny Smith. I like Hunter Henry. I think Matthew Judon's a great system fit. All of the moves that they have made in a nutshell are overrated moves for two reasons. Number one, they're not better than the Buffalo Bills. They're not better than the Kansas City Chiefs. They're not better than the Baltimore Ravens. They're not better than the Pittsburgh Steelers. They are not better than, frankly, the Los Angeles Chargers if Justin Herbert takes uh, takes a step forward. They're not better teams. The Los Angeles Chargers are one of the most talented rosters in football that just have not found a way to stay healthy. So keep an eye on them as a sleeper for the upcoming year. That's number one. Number two. Cam Newton did not have a good year last year in a system that fits him incredibly well. Now, was that a lack of weapons or is it the fact that Cam Newton has taken so much punishment over the last few years that he's not the quarterback that he once was? To me, even if Cam Newton has a good year this upcoming year with all of these weapons, the answer is still the latter. He's still not the quarterback that he once was, so his ceiling can only be so high. Listen, the Jets have done this for 20-something years now. We call this a reload when you should be rebuilding. The Patriots don't have a lot on that roster. And yeah, they're getting some defensive pieces back because they sat out. But what defensive pieces are they getting back? An aging Dante Hightower and a Pat Chung safety that can't cover? I'm supposed to fear that? No. They're going to turn. But Jalen Mills is a turnstile. He might be a nice fit for the defense in terms of what Belichick wants to run, but Belichick would have had better success drafting a cornerback. Jalen Mills has not been successful during his tenure in the NFL. He's been somebody that, and you know, understand this being in the NFC East rooting for the giants teams point him out and throw at him. Yeah. So Bill Belichick has a lot of work to do with regards to Jalen Mills. And he gave him a four year contract, right? This is not a flash in the pan kind of thing. He gave him a legit contract. I think that Belichick is being reactive instead of proactive. And I think it is fair to question Bill Belichick, the general manager. Oh, we already had this Bill Belichick, the coach, is phenomenal. Bill Belichick, the general manager, misses on a fair amount. Yeah. Bill Belichick, the general manager, drafted two tight ends in the third round last year. And he signed two tight ends in this free agency. For all the people that kill the Packers draft that they just had, you should turn around and kill that New England draft the same way yep. because basically he's already made it sunk cost, right? I mean, that, those two picks are a failure. I think the Patriots made a lot of moves to get them to 8-8. Eight and eight. And they were 7-9 last year. I think at best they're one win better, Adam. And I just don't – I don't fear them in this division. I really don't. I don't think their ceiling's that high. I don't think by – any stretch of the imagination that Bill Belichick has done. Um, I, I think they made their point very clear. Cause if you, if you did notice um, some outlets, when the news broke that Cam Newton was resigned, uh, they, they added that little tidbit at the end, not guaranteed to be the starter. Mm-hmm. And I think that's on purpose. I don't okay. think, I don't think Belichick let that slip out, you know, by accident. Um, I, I think he's still, especially the quarter. I don't think by any stretch of the imagination that, that, that Cam Newton will 
be the starter at all this season. I'd be shocked if this is it, if, if he's still going to go another season with Cam Newton. I, I think it's, I think we're talking possible Jimmy G reunion. Um, I could see maybe even Sam Darnold, if, if the Jets want to make a deal with the devil with, with New England, uh, possible, possibly get some draft picks, even though, you know, you're not going to get a good spot in the draft. You're, I mean, trying to rely on the Patriots, the tank is, is not really a good gamble, but um, I, I, I just think that, yeah, I would have to agree with you. I don't think that the Patriots are going to be your same old Patriots. Absolutely not. And especially if you look at the draft, um, I think we both agree uh, the, from now dating all the way back to when he drafted Tom Brady, not, not much has really happened on the offensive end. Exactly. So because for the offensive weapons, he really struggles. Like his track record is not very good on the receiver end. And, and that was again, Tom Brady was the luckiest draft pick of all time. Again, I don't mind any of the moves that they've made as far as the double tight end idea. John yeah. Smith is an excellent blocker. Hunter yeah. Henry's going to be used in more in space. They'll put him out wide. They'll put him in the slot. I don't mind any of that. No, they overpaid for Nelson Aguilar. They overpaid yeah. for Kendrick Bourne. Neither of those are particularly great threats. So at the end of the day, Cam is throwing to two tight ends and what? An aging Julian Edelman and Nelson Aguilar that has one route, Kendrick Bourne, who flashes in spots but has a long way to go as as a player overall and then a guy like you know Demir Bird who Newton had some connection with but you know he's not anything special the Patriot moves are in a nutshell really good moves to make you competitive and they will be a competitive football team they're going to be right around 500 but this move doesn't make them 10 and 6 this move doesn't make them a division contender none of them do end of story yeah all right. Well, moving on to the Jets and Giants. Um, Giants, I was shocked that they made a move on the first day of free agency, you know, kind of bolstering their their running back, kind of giving Saquon sort of some help. But the big story, obviously, is the Jets of what they did. Uh, Corey Davis, Carl Lawson, who was my favorite signing out of all those guys, uh, and Gerard Davis, Um out of all these guys, uh, I'm going to have to throw it to you, Jordan. Who, who do you think uh, – was there any surprises here thus far? Was there – in terms of money, I, I think we kind of spoke on the last show that, you know, a lot of these guys were on the radar. But uh, mm-hmm. do you think the Jets overpaid here, underpaid, got a deal? Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered ChumbaCasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. 
This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just gonna circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Uh, yeah, I'll kind of go through and grade them all at once, I guess. Um, Lawson is an A. That's the edge yeah. rusher I wanted. That's the edge rusher that you thought that you wanted as well. And the reason we both wanted him is because we both felt that he was the most versatile guy on the market. He generates a ton of pressures. He only had five and a half sacks last year, but anybody that stares at that sack number and thinks he's overpaid is wrong because he had upward of 30 pressures on a defensive line where he faced a number of double teams. He can long arm. He can dip in bed. For those that don't know what I mean by long arm, that means when you get your arm extended into the offensive lineman's chest and you can generate leverage and push back. That's called long arming. That's a pass rush move that a lot of people use often and then dip and bend off the edge is essentially the ability to run. That's the imaginary arc to the quarterback where you get that shoulder underneath the outside pad of the tackle and you dip underneath. It's called that dip and bend move and run the arc to the quarterback. He can do both of those things. He understands gap control. He understands how to collapse the pocket, which is going to be important because at the end of the day, the key to the jet defense is still 95 in the middle. It's still going to be the jump of Quinn and Williams in the system. So he's a perfect fit. That's an A. Uh, Corey Davis, B. I think Corey Davis is a great fit for the system. I think Corey Davis is more of the player that we saw in that final year in Tennessee because he does have a lot of talent. He's a terrific blocker. That's a big deal for the Mike LaFleur, Kyle Shanahan offense because they run outside a lot. He and Denzel Mims are excellent blockers. So that's going to be a big factor. And he can stretch the field and win contested catches up high because he's six foot three and has a good catch radius. So I like that move. The contract I liked a lot better today because I found out that the guaranteed money is mostly in the first two years. So it's really essentially a two-year deal. I would have liked that number. Listen, again, I'm being a little nitpicky here because they paid him like a number two wide receiver and he is a number two wide receiver. I would like that number down near the $10 million range more. And I might've rather had a guy like Corey's like Curtis Samuel, Uh, but good contract. Number two wide receiver. Absolutely fine there. Gerard Davis actually is the sneaky move of this because Gerard Davis has a world of talent, but was in an absolutely horrendous system in Detroit. And this move caught people by surprise because he only played, I think he played less than 30% of the snaps last year in Detroit, but there was a market for him that was reported by Rappaport. And I think Tom Pelissaro as well, um, that there was a market for him and that kind of caught people off guard because why would there be a market for a guy that, you know, barely played any snaps, Yeah. but it's because he's an athlete and it's because he does have a lot of talent. So I'll be interested to see if the jets can turn him around. Um, Tom Pelissero, excuse me, uh, messed up his pronunciation. So I want to get that right. Tom Pelissero. Um, I'll be interested to see if the jets can turn him around and make him what he was presumably once supposed to be in, in this new Robert Salas system. Yeah, uh, definitely. Uh, and then I guess the talk of the Giants is kind of, 
the Kenny Galladay auction. Yeah, what do you think about that? Uh, he's predicted to go get four years, 85 million with 57 guaranteed. That's a lot. Yeah, I, I think that's why the Giants are so hesitant. Um, and we spoke about this last week, how the Giants aren't the kind of team that goes out and spends a lot of money. Uh, they usually just invest. They usually use that money and invest within the team, keep veterans around. And I, I, I just don't think in this day and age, uh, especially with how good the draft is this year with wide receivers, I don't know if 85 million with, I think I said 57 million guaranteed. I don't think that's worth it. I don't think that's worth it because especially with, we, and I'm not going to say characterize all wide receivers, but, as a whole, historically speaking, we all know how how maybe I guess sensitive, if you want to say, wide receivers are these days, this day and age, where if they don't get the ball in in three four passes, uh, you start mm-hmm. seeing conversations on the sideline, and especially with a young young quarterback who's still developing, and Daniel Jones, you don't want to have that. I mean, we saw what that what happened with Jeremy Shockey and Eli Manning early on in Eli's career, and. Uh, you never want to have that situation. So I, I just think that you're better off um, if you could get him, if you could talk him down to, I, I doubt he's going to take a $30 million pay cut, but you never know. Um, and just flush his contract full of incentives and, and, you know, front load it. I, th- I guess you could finagle it that way. Um, but I, I think the giants don't don't go out and try and spend big like some of the other teams might uh, invest in the draft. And, you know, if you could trade up and get two quality, good quality wide receivers in the first first round, why not? I would be a lot more mm-hmm. comfortable and satisfied with that than spending this kind of money. Yeah, you take somebody at 11 and then trade back into round one and try to get like the fifth or sixth guy off the board. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I think if you could talk holiday down to four at 72 or four at 76, I think you're in. Um for one of the reasons that actually that you said, the concern around wide receivers and their persona and wanting and demanding the ball, Kenny Galladay has kept his mouth shut despite tumultuous times in Detroit. Right. And his issue is health. So if you can find a way for that deal to be incentive laden in terms of guaranteed money and have the money be voidable in like after year two. So where if he got hurt, it doesn't kill you in a couple years. I think he's very worth it. And I think the giants of the teams I've seen listed, I've seen the giants and the Jaguars as the two big players. I think the giants make the most sense. And I think the Giants should be where he lands. But what's interesting about if Kenny Galladay comes to town, Leonard Williams is on the franchise tag and Leonard Williams, that franchise tag is $19 million. And he supposedly wants around that in terms of a contract extension. Obviously Leonard Williams was a huge, huge key piece to this defense and the transformation this defense made last year, Adam. So I'll ask you this is Leonard Williams worth that big high price tag, or would you let him walk and sign Galladay extend? It seems like you're getting one of the two. You got to so which pay, one would you, you rather? You got to pay Leonard Williams. I, I think 10. If you ask me 10, if you ask me this question 10 times, I'll, I'll my answer 10 times will always be Leonard Williams. Um, 
maybe I'm just so ingrained into the New York Giants culture that, you know, invest in defense first and then the offense will come along. I, I just think that's what you got to do. I, I just think, we're, we're go- especially with how the game is played now on the offensive side of things, you got to invest on on your line. You got to invest in your defense and and especially with how mobile these quarterbacks are. And Leonard Williams has been nothing short of incredible since joining the Giants. I think, especially for what they traded him for, uh, you know, I, I think hustling the Jets, um, it, really with that trade, I, I just think that, I mean, you got to pay him. I mean, he is probably one of their top defensive linemen right now and will be for the foreseeable future. So go with that. With wide receivers, I think, especially with the games played now, and, you know, especially in college, they'll come and go and the talents, the, the young talent will always be there. So I think invest the money in where mm-hmm. it's really needed. Whereas, you know, wide receivers, you'll, you'll always get a guy here and there over the years or, you know, a free agency or a diamond in the rough kind of guy. So who knows? Um, you know, I, I don't think it's that big of a concern. Yes, we they definitely need a wide receiver. But at the end of the day, Daniel Jones right now, he's not playing at a level where it's a hundred percent the reason as to why he's not successful. There's a lot of things other than not having a number one wide receiver that are contributing to, to this, you know, just the stale offense. So, yeah. Yeah. No, I think that's a fair point. Um, Transitioning back to the jets for a second. Let's dive into the Sam Darnold conundrum because there is a realistic chance that the Jets waited too long on dealing Sam Darnold and that market might be shrinking. Ryan Fitzpatrick signs a one-year $10 million deal with the Washington football team. Is that too much? Is that too much money? I was shocked. No, that's a backup. And in in today's day and age, based on the the percentage of the salary cap, that is a backup. That's a high-end backup contract. So, yeah, he might start, but they also might go a different direction to quarterback. I don't think that ruled them out of that spot. Same thing goes for Cam Newton, by the way, you because you yeah. brought up the idea that Cam Newton could not start. $14 million in today's day and age is an extremely high-end backup, low-end starter, but it's not – that doesn't guarantee him a starting spot yeah. at all. I, so, I think he only got $14 million as opposed to maybe 11 12 because of his mm-hmm. name, Cam Newton. I, I think yeah. any other backup quarterback gets – yeah, probably, as you said, you know that's kind of like what the high-end is for a backup. I think you get 10 or nine. Right. So with Fitzpatrick now there, the belief is that they might be out on Sam Darnold. I don't think that's true. I don't think Ryan Fitzpatrick means that they won't go get a young quarterback. What I do think that it means for the immediate future is that they will not overpay for a young quarterback. So that 19th overall pick is not coming off the board for Sam Darnold. Um, New Orleans puts a lot of money into Taysom Hill, even though they really didn't because so much of it is voidable and so much of it is nonsense. Um, they get Jameis Winston back for a year. Seems like New Orleans is has decided that they're going to run with those two at quarterback. That takes them out of Darnold. You're starting to look at San Francisco, Chicago. I still believe Washington is in play and Pittsburgh. But here's the bottom line. None of those are going to offer you a first round pick. And I told you a couple of weeks ago, I said it with regards to Joe Douglas and the way he was going to navigate this market. He was going to let the market dictate what he did. He shopped Sam Darnold 
And I can't imagine that they ever got a first round offer because I think they would have pulled the trigger on it. Uh And the teams that he needed to be interested, I said the team he needed to be interested was New Orleans because I thought New Orleans would force everyone else's hand to potentially give up a one. Now, Chicago could get super desperate and give up that 20th overall pick. But the more likely scenario is that you're getting a two or a couple threes. Again, is that a big deal? No, it's not a big deal. You're still getting multiple picks for a guy that's not going to be on your roster. So that's fine. It's just for those that are super Sam Darnold fans who think that he completely deserves a one. The the NFL has shown you over the past couple days that maybe they overhyped him to the media. And the reality is, he's going to get moved along the lines of Josh Rosen, which is he'll get moved on draft day to a team that misses on a quarterback that they thought they were going to get for a second and a fifth round pick. And that seems to be the way they're going to go. Do I think that's a loss? No. Do I think that Joe Douglas didn't trade him in time? No, but Adam, I'm going to bring up something that you kind of hinted at, which is the idea of Sam Donald going to new England. Okay. First off, I'll turn it to you and I'll ask quickly, what, is your attraction to doing that deal from the jet perspective. And then I'll kind of explain mine because I think there's a legitimate chance that Sam Darnold winds up on new England. Anyway, I think it comes down to that. The, the mindset, new England, new, uh, you said new Orleans or new England, which is new saying? England. Okay. New England. You brought up the idea of him going to Belichick. Uh, I, I think that Belichick believes that he has a team to at least challenge the bills for the Mm -hmm. division. Now uh, you said before, and and I'm inclined to agree with you. He did make a lot of noise on on yesterday. As you said, we're recording this on Tuesday uh, yesterday being the first day of the free agency, but um, he still needs a quarterback. Cam Newton. I don't believe is the answer. You don't believe Cam Newton's the answer. I'm sure a lot of Patriots fans and NFL fans in general don't believe Cam Newton is the answer. Sam Darnold is still young. He's still talented. And I believe in the right system, in the right organization, underneath a coach like Bill Belichick can make that jump that he still hasn't made. I believe that I'm not saying he's going to take the franchise to a Super Bowl or five Mm -hmm. or six. But I think not this year. I think if he does stay there for the long run, I think Sam Darnold will surpass any expectations we would have ever had for him if he would have stayed in a Jets uniform. I think it it comes down to a change of scenery. And we've seen this with with quarterbacks all over the place, how it kind of just revitalizes uh, their careers and, and really just takes them to a whole level that either they they lost or they they're arriving at for the first time so i think i i think if you're the patriots sam darnold is definitely on your board if you're the jets you definitely should be expecting a call from the patriots within the next week or so or at least on draft day if -hmm. if the patriots don't become very aggressive and try to trade up for some picks um i also think that New, new orleans uh, even though they may not show it, is super desperate for a quarterback. Uh, there's, I don't know if they signed him yet. Um, they added Jameis. Yes, they they, they, they brought t- Jameis back. and yeah, they, they, they have Taysom. But I don't Taysom. I I think that I think New Orleans has established that they have no intention of making him a full time quarterback. I think he's just there as kind of like a parlor trick that they they run out every couple of downs or so. 
Uh, I think that if, if you're the Saints, um, you shouldn't be too set on Jameis Winston being your starting quarterback. Uh, I think you'd look at a guy like Sam Darnold. I, I think the Jets are in a good situation. Um, did they, was there a possibility that they could have missed high if we look back on, on the first day of free agency? Uh, possibly if they don't make the, the, the move to, to get him to a team like a New England or New Orleans. If, if he's a Jet by, by the end of the, by the draft or by training camp, or he hasn't been moved to a team in which they got a high return. Yeah, you and I might come on the show the next day and look back at this time of year and think, okay, maybe they missed the mark and maybe they should have traded him earlier. Yeah, I mean, he's not going to be a Jet by training camp. He could be a Jet by draft day. Like, that's a legitimate chance. I, I, I think there's a real shot that he could be a Jet by draft day and potentially move somewhere in that draft for a team that misses on a quarterback, be it San Francisco, be it Chicago, be it uh, Carolina. For whatever reason, if Carolina didn't land the guy they wanted at eight, maybe they jump into the sweepstakes for a second rounder and a fifth rounder or something like that, a deal that resembles Josh Rose. And here's why I would not fear calling the devil, as you put it earlier in the podcast, with regards to the New England Patriots. If you can't move Sam Darnold, let's say the ultimate bad happens and truly no one wants him. No one's willing to pay draft capital. They're going to take their chances at getting Sam Darnold in free agency next year for a contract that they can negotiate, that they don't have to pay him that $25 million team option. That's what they want to do. Because there's no way the Jets are going to start him and there's no way the Jets are going to hold that option. Like that's already said and done. The Jets are not right. walking in the season starting Sam Darnold. That has been made abundantly clear. Even if Darnold is on this, I'm almost willing to say that even if Sam Darnold is on this roster, he's not the starter. Because it, everything about this screams new regime selects their quarterback. So I, I just don't see Darnold as the starter. If he walked into free agency, Bill Belichick is going to be the biggest player for him and make sure that he gets him. Two reasons. One, Belichick has never hesitated about guys he likes. He's never played chess. He's allowed the media to play chess for him. When he goes on, you know, when he goes on a press conference and he talks about how much he loves Blake Bortles, right? He talks about how good Blake Bortles is. Everyone's like, oh, that's Belichick playing chess. No, it's not. When you wanted to stop the Jacksonville Jaguars, you know who you had to stop? Blake Bortles. Because you had to make sure that they became one-dimensional. You couldn't mm -hmm. let them play action off of the run. Right. So, yes, you were lo loading the box, but you had to confuse Bell you know, Bortles in the back end and force him into bad throws so that they could not play action off of that run game because you weren't going to stop their run game for four quarters. It wasn't going to happen. He never actually plays chess if you ask him a legitimate good question. If you ask him a good question, he will give you a good answer. And he will give you an answer on guys he likes. He raved about Hunter Henry two, a couple of years ago in a press conference before they were going to play the Chargers. He raved about Hunter Henry. Went on a rant for Hunter Henry about five minutes. Two years later, Hunter Henry's in New England uniform. He doesn't play chess with guys he likes. He has spoken time and time again about how much he likes Sam Darnold. You give Sam Darnold the opportunity to hit free agency, free of charge, I guarantee you he is in a New England Patriot uniform or New England is at least in play for him. Mm -hmm. So to me, would I rather have Sam Darnold in a Patriot uniform for two third round picks? Or would I rather have Sam Darnold in a Patriot uniform for nothing? That's why I would at least make the call. Would you, would you, as a Jet fan, 
would you risk making a deal with the devil with the very real possibility that he turns into something and he kills you for twice a year? Yeah, no, I wouldn't. Because again, if I'm making this trade of Sam Darnold, I believe he's not the answer at quarterback. Right. Right. That's listen. If you like Sam Darnold and you think Sam Darnold's a starter, well then trade out of two, grab more assets Get a wide receiver or a Kyle Pitts at like six, seven, eight, draft an offensive lineman at 23 and go build a team around Sam Darnold. The reason the Jets are trading Sam Darnold is they do not believe Sam Darnold is the answer. And if you don't believe Sam Darnold's the answer, why would you fear trading in position, in division? See, the difference between trading Sam Darnold and trading a guy like Deshaun Watson is very simple. Deshaun Watson is 100% the answer at quarterback. Mm -hmm. He just doesn't want to be a Houston Texan. That's a scenario where you can't afford to trade him in division because it will hinder your ability to get better. Mm. From the Jet perspective, in terms of this rebuild, they don't think Sam Darnold's the answer. So why giving him to a team in division? Why would that matter? If you don't think he's the answer, you don't think he's the answer regardless of where you're playing. Because if he's the answer for someone else, but he's not the answer for you, well, then why don't you make your situation to the point where he can be the answer for you? A lot of people think that Sam Darnold is an answer in San Francisco. He's an answer for the Shanahan offense. The Shanahan offense is in the damn building right now. So if that's the case, then he should be an answer here. If the literal scenario for him to be successful is the Kyle Shanahan West Coast offense, that's in your damn building. So if that's the case, then you would hold on to him. And if you don't think that he's successful in that system, then you really don't think he's successful in any system. So move him to New England. Who cares? I think unless you get a King's ransom back for him somehow, which you're not going to, I I think it's a mistake trading him away. I think all you got to do is build around this guy. He could be your franchise quarterback for the next 12 years, 12, 13 years. Definitely an argument to be made. All right. So moving on, and obviously we will both update you as we go along. uh, If news were to break about Sam Darnold, especially this week uh, with the frequency of shows coming out, we we might have to do an emergency show at some point, but really um, the next, our next segment, which is one of my favorites is the mailbag segment. So uh, I'll, I'll read the first one. Lenny from New York asks, from their respective draft classes, who would you take over R.J. Barrett and Emmanuel quickly? Uh, Lenny also adds that he believes question, answering this question will make the Knicks fans appreciate how good of a position they're actually in. This is a great question, by it the is. way. I got asked this question on Twitter, and I asked Lenny if I can use it on the podcast, and he said absolutely. Um, also, for those that are just tuning in for the first time, this is our mailbag segment. We do this every single week. Send us a question. Tweet us a question. We will answer it on the show, or we'll try to answer it on the show. It doesn't have to be New York sports-related. It can be anything whatsoever. There's a couple of those in here, in here this week. Um, this is a great question from Lenny. I took my time and I thought about it. Barrett's easy because the only answers are Ja, ja Morant and Zion Williamson. That's it. Outside of Ja and Zion, there's nobody with Barrett's upside. So that's easy. One, two, three, done there. Um, quickly is a little harder because you've seen quickly flash so much so fast that you don't want to overreact to what he could be. But by the same token, you've got to appreciate what you've seen. Mm -hmm. And so what I came up with for quickly are LaMelo Ball. 
I take LaMelo Ball because he's been fantastic in Charlotte. Charlotte's in the playoff conversation. And I take Tyrese Halliburton uh, with the Kings because at six foot five, he's shown length, defensive ability. He can pass, he can create off the dribble. Having said that, I think there's an argument to be made for quickly over Halliburton down the line because I think quickly has shown intelligence beyond his years. So even though I take Halliburton, I don't think that's a guarantee. And then the other two I took were Wiseman and Edwards, but not from the Knicks perspective, just because I think they will eventually blossom into great players. I don't know if their needs for the Knicks. Anthony Edwards is a kind of a ball dominant shooting guard. The Knicks have ball dominant players with Randall and Barrett. So I don't know if he fits there because he's not a spot up guy. And Wiseman at center is more of an offensive minded center. And I think with Thibodeau, uh, defense is key at that five position. So I don't know if he fits great either. Bottom line is the answer to this question leads you to the conclusion, which is this. And we spoke about it at the top of the show. The New York Knicks, for the first time in a while, have a lot of young talent and it's starting to blossom. And they've got two legitimate starters in Quickly and Barrett and two guys that I think could become stars in this league. And that really makes you think about the prosperous times that could be ahead for the New York Knicks, which I think is the kind of backdrop to Lenny's question. Yeah, I I think I would have to agree with everything you've said there. I mean, um, if you really want to measure how good these guys were coming out of college, look at the guys that were taken before them. Um, And and the guys that were taken in front of them are – by no stretch uh, slouches. So uh, yeah, for the Knicks are in great shape right now. I, mm-hmm. I think this is the first time in our lifetime in which we've seen a ton of young talent to where it's actually working and coming together. So, yeah. all right. So the next question, which uh, it's probably one of my favorite questions today, other than the hockey oriented ones that will follow afterwards is Chris from New York asked, does it feel like there's less buzz around March Madness than normal? Uh, you made a great point before the show when we were discussing this as my set is falling down behind me. <laughs> um, uh, I, I guess, you know, you made a point that, and I, I have to agree that in the Northeast here, especially, we don't really have any big time college hoops programs mm-hmm. except for Syracuse and you know that was long ago and every year we'll have a team that kind of makes a run from the New York from New York State uh most notably this year it's going to be Iona um I don't expect them to do too much I believe they're playing Alabama in the first round yeah I think so so I I don't I would I would assume it's probably going to be a close game to start off I don't expect them to win that game but still it's always exciting to see New York teams kind of uh you know, make that stretch in the NCAA. Uh, I believe back in 2011, 2012, uh, what I remember was a good one. I believe Duke played University of Albany first round and Mm -hmm. Albany got absolutely shellacked. But of course, I mean, that was prime Duke. But uh, overall, and I think this adds to it, especially this season, is the teams that are normally in it are not in it. I mean, the Blue Bloods. Exactly. The Dukes, the the, the Kentuckys. Exactly. And, and it, it's very strange. And and I think part of it, other than that reasoning, is the fact that the fact that, yeah, I mean, we don't just have we don't have a big program here. And, and I think, uh, you know, you, that's why you have a lot of people from the city who kind of latch on to teams that are in basketball crazy markets like me. I grew up a huge 
Duke Blue Devils fan and you know right. p- people that I know uh, yep. always always laugh at me and ask me when the alumni uh, the reunion is coming together at, at Duke <laughs> University. Uh, but I, I just think that part of it also had to do with just COVID this year and just the lack of coverage somewhat. Mm-hmm. You know, it wasn't your stereotypical college basketball season in which um, we had, you know, the, the normal kid, University of Kentucky uh, Saturday games, you know, in which they were facing mm-hmm. an SEC team or the Duke games in which, you know, that, that UNC game a couple, I think a week or so ago, Duke was down by almost 30 points before halftime. And I, yep. I turned it off afterwards. It was it was terrible. So mm-hmm. I'll throw it over to you. Uh, I just no, think, I think that. Right. Yeah, I just think it was um, it, it's not it's just an off year. I think the excitement will come back next year, obviously, as things start to open up. And and um, the other thing with the Northeast here is that really, you know, to kind of get us warmed up for March Madness is the Big East tournament. And you don't have the same teams. Georgetown won this year. Uh, <laughs> so what does that tell you? Yeah, no, I think that's fair. I think the lack of fans were a big deal for March Madness. Listen, March Madness is my favorite time of the year. Personally, I, you know, I always take, you know, there was the, a, a skit that I saw on social media about the guy that always takes off the first weekend of March Madness from work. That's been me ever since I was 18 years old. Um, I have always taken off that first weekend of March Madness and it's because it's my favorite time of the year. I, I just love this tournament and I love what this tournament brings to the viewer. Um, but from the perspective this year, a lot of the excitement around March Madness has to do with the fans and the atmosphere that's created in the conference tournaments and then subsequently in the March Madness tournament that you don't have that this year. And I think sports has felt the lack of fans in terms of their viewership number because fans provide an atmosphere that you just can't replicate. You just can't do it. And so I don't think that's untrue for college basketball. And I think it's why people are less excited, but I think Adam, you hit the nail on the head. This is not a college basketball town. The Northeast is not a college basketball town and never has been. Arguably, it never will be, even when a team like UConn is good, even when a Syracuse is good, even when a Nova is good. It's just not a basketball town. I mean, that's plain and simple, the answer. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Uh, third I think, question. I think the only, way, the only way we could get it back to, to somewhat some excitement is is the Johnny's being good again. And, and unfortunately, every time it looks like they get a good player, that guy becomes ineligible to play a yeah. game. So, yeah. you know, that's kind of part of it as well. So they struggle with uh, recruiting as well. The big time player. Third question from Zach from Virginia asks, and this is going to be a great one for us uh, with Crosby and Ovechkin's careers in their latter stages. Who do you feel has the better all time resume, Adam? Without a doubt, Sidney Crosby. I mean, he is your hockey equivalent of a five-tool player. I mean, he's done it all. He's captained uh, multiple Stanley Cup teams, and and not only Stanley Cup teams, but dominant Stanley Cup teams. 
Uh, he's repeat as a champion too, as well. Uh, he, he has been the guy from day one. Yes. Alex Ovechkin is exciting. Uh, and he's, he, he plays a more sexier part of the game and he just scores goals after goals after goals, but he only has one Stanley cup final to, to really, to really show for it. Other than that, he hasn't really done much. And yeah, part of that has to do with management there in Washington. But really, at the end of the day, I mean, Sidney Crosby, not only does he have a better career head and shoulders above Alex Ovechkin, but the case could be made for him as being possibly one of the best players in the last 20, 25 years. Uh, Sidney Crosby is just in a class of his own and, and taking a team you know, a lot of people credit Mario Lemieux with keeping Pittsburgh, uh, with, with keeping the Penguins in Pittsburgh. But it's Sidney Crosby who cemented that team into the culture of this of that city. And I think if you don't get Sidney Crosby in that in that draft, we're not here today talking about the Penguins as any sort of an elite team in the NHL, because every year we, we have the conversation about who's going to win the Stanley Cup. Penguins, regardless of what situation they're in, as long as they have Sidney Crosby, there's no reason why they should be should not be in the conversation. So my pick is without a doubt, 100 percent Sidney Crosby. Let me play devil's advocate and take the Ovechkin side because it is a legitimate argument and there is oh, an argument to be made for Alexander Ovechkin. So let me take the Ovechkin side in terms of their resume and what they brought to the table. Sidney Crosby had significantly more talent around him in Pittsburgh than Alexander Ovechkin ever did in Washington. Right. Sidney Crosby had the avenue to go to more finals and have a larger resume because of the talent that was around him. Alexander Ovechkin might retire as the greatest goal scorer that has ever played this game. And that is when everyone in the building knew that he was the offense. Uh-huh. Even on teams with Backstrom and, and, and scores, the puck was going to eight, plain and simple. My brother and I joke about this all the time. There's a defense that NBA teams run, particularly college teams. It does actually not run a lot in the NBA. Uh-huh. But college and high school, when they face a star player, they run what's called a box and one, which is a box defense and then one guy basically playing man defense on player X, even if he's 45 feet from the hoop. Why didn't anyone play a triangle and one against the, the, the power play of Washington and just stick somebody on Ovechkin and basically face guard him like Sean Avery face guarding Martin Brodeur, yeah. right? You know, like that, the, everyone knew the puck was going there and it didn't wind up mattering a large portion of the time. Ovechkin's defense is better than it's given credit for. Crosby's defense, I think, is worse than it's presumed. I don't think Crosby's the the impact two-way player that he gets credit for because to me Crosby's defense goes with his effort on that end when his effort is high he can do it when his efforts low he definitely does not do it and lastly with regards to Ovechkin and this is I think the biggest one in the next 20 years when you talk about the greatest playmaker of the 2000s is the answer Sidney Crosby or is the answer Connor McDavid and if your answer to that question is Connor McDavid, then to me, the answer to this question is Alexander Ovechkin. Because when you talk about the greatest goal scorer of all time, 
Ovechkin is better than Yager. Ovechkin is better than Hull. Ovechkin is better than those top end guys. Maybe with the exception of Gretzky, it depends on where he gets to and how long he plays. Crosby, in terms of the greatest playmakers, is he a better playmaker than Lemieux? Is he a better playmaker in his own era than McDavid? Is he a better playmaker than Gretzky? Is he a better playmaker than Howe? So on and so forth, so on and so forth. So if I'm posing the argument for Ovechkin, that would be the argument I would make. Well, to quote you, I'd have to say, you are entitled to your opinion, but you're wrong. <laughs> so uh, I, I just think that, you know, it, 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 it's – and we can have this argument for every era of hockey. And I, I just think they – play the game so different as well as they've been in different situations and you and I both hinted at it with with Ovechkin in Washington uh I mean for a better part of his career he's had basically to do it all by himself uh except for goaltending I mean he had Braden Hopi for a good portion of his career other than that he really had nobody else it yep. really most games he's had to take eight nine to ten shots and that's not something you want to do and the fact that everybody in the building knew especially on power plays that the puck was going to Ovechkin in the circle and the goalie couldn't stop it still is a testament to how incredible his shot is and that's that really lands him in the upper echelon of the hardest shot with there with with guys like, you know, Al McGinnis and, and, you know, uh, Mario Lemieux and Wayne Gretzky, guys like that, the list goes on, Mm -hmm. but to kind of go back to Crosby, Crosby is just such a dynamic player. And yes, he isn't as maybe defensively tooled as maybe Ovechkin is. And you could attribute that to maybe just his stature or, you know, kind of, the big talk of when he went through that stretch of injuries was the fact that he was playing tentative because, you know, let's face it, when you have three, four concussions or whatever number he had, and you come back from that, you're going to play a little scared. Uh, But the fact that he came back and ended up winning, not one, not two, but three cups shows you how resilient of a player. And really a guy that size, especially in the, in the game over the last 15 years in which Guys are big. I mean, going after, going on the ice to play after uh, against guys like Zdeno Chara, to play against guys like like Alexander Ovechkin, you mm-hmm. have to really rely on your skill and your hockey IQ, and that's what Sidney Crosby has done, and sure. that what has made him one of the top players on a yearly basis. And I mean, he's thirty four, and he's still one of the best players in the league. One of the best stories I've ever heard with regards to Crosby actually came out a few weeks ago. It was from Ryan Whitney, and I think it was it was on part in my take. It was not on his Spit and Chicklets podcast. And he talked about how it was either Crosby's first or second year in the league, and Ryan Whitney is on the Penguins at the time. And Ryan Whitney had one of the best years in his career. Oh, I, I heard this story too. And yeah. he – has like high assist numbers. He's on the power play for, for some reason. He says that for some reason they decided to put him on the power play. The power play was Gonchar, Malkin, Recky, uh, Crosby, and him. And like, that's like the way he describes it. Even, even himself, he was just wasn't in the class, but he was on the power play. And there were times during the year where he would pass the puck to Crosby, get off the ice, 
And Sydney would go down and do his thing and take round four guys and dump it off and Malkin would push it in the net or Sydney would score. And they'd be celebrating on the bench and the guy would come on the horn, be like, goal scored by Sidney Crosby, assisted by so-and-so and Ryan Whitney. And the yeah. entire bench would look and Wit would go, I don't know how I got that assist. <laughs> and like they'd all be running through their head and realize that Sidney Crosby took the puck for 47 seconds, danced around five guys, made a play on his own, passed the puck in front of the net. And the last guy to pass the puck was legitimately wit as he was getting off the yeah. ice. That's the kind of player that Crosby is. So Exactly. I mean, you and know. the year we're referring to is 2006-07, in which uh, I, just looking at the stats, you could tell which year he was talking about because Witt had uh, – he had 59 points that year, 45. Yeah, that ain't Witt. <laughs> 40, 45 of which he had were assists. So that just shows you um, – and that was a career high as well. So Yeah. Uh, but yeah, that just shows you how dynamic of a player and impactful. I mean, you watch, I actually had the pleasure of going back and watching Crosby's first game as a penguin and just, I mean, 18 year old Crosby looked like he was a 20 year vet out there mm -hmm. playing with guys like Mario Lemieux. It was just, it, it's wild. I mean, yep. and, and, but I mean, so, so is Ovechkin. He, he, but he was more of a character when he first came in the league, um, all right, so moving on to our last question of the day is Jeff from New York. He asks, does the injury to Anders Lee make the Islanders more likely to be aggressive at the trade deadline? Uh, I'll answer this real quick, and then I'll throw it over to you. I think you'll hear a lot more rumors as swirling around in terms of if they're going to make a move or not. If they're going to make any actual moves, I don't expect it to be anything high profile. I, I think that really what Lou Lamorello has shown us is that he prefers just like my New York giants to kind of stay within the organization. Uh, he had opportunity during this past off season to make some moves in which to kind of bolster the, the scoring on this team. And he took a gamble and it paid off, but how long is he going to gamble for until that really comes back and bites him in the ass? Now, I, I don't think he's going to go out there, like I said, and make a big move, but I wouldn't be surprised if he goes out there and picks up a third liner or, or a second liner. Uh, what do you think, Jordan? Yeah, that last point is spot on. Um, that's kind of what Lou does, right? Lou goes out and makes the small move. If he's making a big move, it's in the offseason. That's, yeah. that's kind of his MO. I don't, think I, I don't think the injury to Anders Lee is going to force them into a goal scorer. I would love to see them do something he that Trotz and him will not do, which is I want to see Oliver Wallstrom on that line with Barcy because Oliver Wallstrom has created for himself better than I thought anybody expected. I think anyone else expected him to during this stretch. Mm -hmm. He has come into his own. He looks like the legitimate prospect that people thought. He scored a shootout goal against the Devils on Saturday where it's essentially the equivalent of Steph Curry pulling up from the parking lot, <laughs> like just a quick trigger because as he's coming down, you know, in the right-hand slot, the blocker side opens this much, just a little bit. Yeah. And he fires off a wicked snapshot at the speed of sound into the back of the net. He has a lightning quick trigger, Putting him with Barzell, I think, would replace Anders Lee in a different way. I don't think it would be 
him crashing the net, but I think it would allow that Barzell Eberle Wallstrom pairing to create and to be innovative. And that's not something necessarily that is a part of this trots brand, but it would be a nice unique thing to hold them over production wise until Lee gets back. The other thing is that Kiefer Bellows has stepped into the Leander's Lee role and looked spectacular. He's filled in very nicely at a couple goals against the devils and has made some plays. So I think the answer is going to be what the answer to Lou Lamorello teams is all along. Uh, we have the talent in house. We can replace next man up. And if I have to figure it out in the off season, I will. I think the best, if they are going to make a trade, um, you know, I think Islander fans definitely want to see Taylor Hall's name pop up, which he will. I don't think they're going to make, I don't think that trade's going to happen. I think in the long run, it will help the, the Islanders because I think the player Islander fans should really be looking for as not only as a key addition to this team in the long run, if they do acquire him at the deadline, but a player who could be a key addition to this team who has been just tearing up for years and really nobody knows about him because he's been playing for the Ducks. Uh, I think he also, yeah, he's only played for the Ducks, is Ricard Raquel. Would love that. Uh, you give up a second rounder. Uh, you, you give up two second rounders, 2021-22 for Raquel, which is not really asking a much because the Ducks are in full rebuild. The pond is completely on fire over there on the West Coast. And they're just looking to dump like a guy like this, 30-plus game, 30-plus goal scorer. Uh, so why not? I think that as much as it would be a sexy name for Taylor Hall or maybe a Kyle Palmieri who is also being floated out around there, I think that Ricard Ra Raquel is probably your more realistic player for uh, possibly. And you could and you could put him on that on that second or that you could put him on that first line. System fit too. Exactly. His offense plays defense two Absolutely. way. Guy crashes the net. Love that fit. Absolutely little, love that fit. Little undersized, but I've seen him play in person. It, he he looks like he shot out of a cannon half the time. Kind of Peugeot esque. Exactly. Exactly. You know? Yeah. You I have... like that fit a lot. All right. So that concludes our mailbag. And of course, remember to tweet to either to the Empire State of Sports Twitter page, which is SIA Empire State, or tweet to one of us, uh, Jordan Katz 11, or me at AP Danker. Uh, go ahead and tweet us your questions, especially now this week that we'll be having more frequency as well as we'll be shooting for more frequency going forward. Uh, little, little headline that popped up while we were doing the mailbag. Nothing really crazy, but it looks like the Washington football team is now stating their interest in Sam Darnold. So, lack of interest, I think. I guess lack of interest. Is yeah, because uh, Diana Rossini said uh, not to hold your breath. Really? With regards to it. So I listen, I'm with you on that first inclination, which is I think this is Washington just being playing a power play. Yeah. If you want Sam Darnold, you want him at a discounted price. The way to do that is to claim Ryan Fitzpatrick as your starter. Just push it out there. Ryan Fitzpatrick, Ryan Fitzpatrick, Ryan Fitzpatrick. We're good. Heineke's in the back end. We're good. No problem. And that way you can try to get Sam Darnold at a discounted price on draft day. So I don't think this takes them completely out of the sweepstakes. Um, the other move that just happened is the Raiders are releasing Pro Bowl center Rodney Hudson for some reason. Their offensive line's in shambles. He's the one thing they've got. So that move is very interesting. Uh, Joe Douglas and David Gettleman get on the horn now because that guy is an immediate upgrade over anything that you could spit out at center in, in, in next year, period. So get on the horn right now. 
Yeah, that's a that's a weird move to make getting rid of uh alignment as you're just kind of in shambles with that. But um now kind of uh, a name that popped in my head that I forgot to answer, and then we'll go on to kind of recapping our MLB predictions. Uh Alex Smith. I mean, you have Joe Flacco kind of as the backup mentor role who just is for the most part, I'm not gonna say useless because that's mean, but mm-hmm. uh in a very ineffective when he's on the field. Now, Alex Smith is coming off a storybook storybook season after that gruesome leg injury a couple yeah. of years back. If you end up for whatever reason, having Sam Darnold to start your season. Now, obviously he's not going to be your starting quarterback or whatever the case may be. He still could make a move within the season. Do you, is picking up a guy like Alex Smith and telling Joe Flacco to hit the bricks Alex Smith has proven that he still has got a little in the tank. He is 36, so he, he's not exactly young. But is that an out of the two out of the box move for the Jets to make? No, if you trade, if you cannot trade Sam Darnold, and they trade out of the number two pick, and Sam Darnold is the starting quarterback in 2021, I would love the idea of them going to get Alex Smith. And I would love the idea of Alex Smith being a potential backup because if Sam Darnold comes out of the gate slow, you don't lose the year and Alex Smith can be subbed right in. Again, the problem that I would see in that scenario is I genuinely believe that the starter for the Chicago Bears this year is Alex Smith. So I think that the question would be, would Alex Smith turn down the opportunity to start to go be a backup? And I don't sense the 36-year-old Alex Smith is going to make that call. So, and I don't think money's an issue. Alex Smith has been paid over the course of his career. Now it's about right. proving something right. off of this injury, proving that he can start proving that he can take a team to the playoffs. So that would be my biggest concern with that regard. Do I think it's out of the box? Absolutely not. That's perfectly in bounds and a move that the Jets could look to make, whether they keep Sam Darnold or whether they draft a Zach Wilson, or Justin Fields at two. Well, we'll definitely keep an eye on that. I mean, I, it, it's never a bad option to bring in a veteran, especially kind of light a fire under a guy uh, and say, hey, your job is not 100% safe. So to end the show here, we're going to recap some of our predictions that we made uh, from the NL West. Uh, we both had the A's and the Dodgers winning their respective divisions. Both think the Padres are probably going to take the wild card spot. I think that the wild card team that comes out of the AL West is – Wishful thinking, the Angels, probably going to be the Astros. Uh, So today we're going to do the Central. So I'll kick it over to you first. Uh, Let's start off with AL Central. Sure. Um, Yeah, this is just kind of piling on to our MLB predictions uh, that we started two weeks ago. Yes, two weeks ago. Yep, I think that's right. Uh, the Minnesota Twins are the class of the AL Central. The Minnesota Twins could be the class of the American League in the regular season. It is a really deep team. It is essentially the same team from last year. Um, they're going to get the chance to beat up on teams in that division. The Tigers, the Royals, the Indians, I think, will be competitive for only half a year but to, before they decide to have a farm sale on the second half of their team that they haven't traded yet. So this is a quality roster. It is an offense that is loaded top to bottom with guys like Arias and Donaldson and Sano. And I think they brought Nelson Cruz back as well. It's just, they are the class. 
Um, the, the team to watch is the team that has been the most active during this, the last two free agencies, really, not just this past one, during the last two. The team to watch is the White Sox. The White Sox have a lot of young talent with Aloy Jimenez, uh, with Aloy Jimenez and Luis Robert. Tim Anderson is a star shortstop. They've added pieces in free agency. They've added pieces to their rotation and they appear poised to try to compete and try to at least make the playoffs. Um, they added a manager that's 175 years old in Tony <laughs> Rusa, And I think the game is probably passed him by, but you know what? Managers don't matter as much as they used to. Now it's more about keeping egos together. And Tony LaRussa has been able to do that throughout his entire career, much like Phil Jackson did in the NBA. So my opinion is that the White Sox are going to hold down a wild card, but they don't really ever challenge the Twins for this division. I think this is the Twins division to lose. Yeah, I would have to agree with you. I think that the Twins are probably, if you're throwing any money on this, your safe bet to probably lock down the Central. The White Sox are just probably going to be that team in which they just kind of, you just look over your shoulder for them. Cleveland, I don't think, is going to make any real noise this season. I think if they get off to a slow start, I think the fire sale continues at the trade deadline. Uh, the, so, fire, the fire sale continues whether they get off to a slow start or that's not. Also, that's also true. So, <laughs> I think the best they're doing is competing for half a year. <laughs> yeah, so uh, half a year I think is a little strong. I think maybe a month. Yeah. Uh, uh, I mean, it's common. Yeah, so I, I think the, the Twins are in good shape. I think I agree with you that I think they are the class of the, the AL Central, possibly of the AL. The only issue with that is that, you know, Twins fans better be hoping they don't run into the Yankees the first round of the playoffs because we all know how that normally ends. Yeah, you know, it's interesting with regards, again, you look at Minnesota. Minnesota is actually super. They're, they're super good. And they added pieces this offseason to improve them in areas that they struggled. They struggled up the middle in defense. Yeah, they've got Byron Buxton out there in center field, but their interior defense, uh, you know, in the middle of the diamond struggled. So what do they do? They add Angelton Simmons in the middle, who's the best defensive shortstop in the game. Um, you know, you've still got Polanco playing second base. I would love to see Luis Arias get a little more time at second and maybe Polanco wind up on a different team. But Polanco can hit and Polanco can do all the things that Luis Arias can do with the bat as well. Miguel Sano, power bat. Mitch Garver, power bat. Um, guys like Kepler and Krilloff in the corners. That's a loaded, loaded lineup. Can they pitch? It's the, it's the Yankee question. Can they go can, into the Bronx in, in the postseason? Can they go into the Bronx? Can they pitch? Their starting staff is Kenta Maeda, Jose Barrios, and a lot of question marks. It's yeah. former Bronx guys, interestingly enough. That's what's projected right now with Pineda and J.A. Happ. Yeah. But their bullpen is a question mark. Colome in, the, Colome in the back end is a really solid closer, but he's been a solid closer outside of big moments. When he's gotten to big moments, he struggled. And they're going to have to go up against a team that's built similar to lead to them. Again, the reason they've struggled in the Bronx is very simple. The Yankees are a better version than the, of the twins top to bottom. They're just a better version. The ACE for the twins is Kenta Maeda. Who would you rather have Kenta Maeda or Gary Cole? Like <laughs> the, the lineup top to bottom for the twins is amazing. Who would you rather have as that big bat? Would you rather have a guy like Sano? 
or would you rather have Aaron Judge? The Yankees just typically have been a better version than the Twins. What I wonder is maybe if this is the finally the year where the Twins are actually the better version of the Yankees. And I think that will be an interesting thing to an interesting storyline to watch as the MLB season unfolds. Yeah, I agree with you. So moving on to the National League, uh, looks like the Cubs are somewhat in the same situation as the 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 Cleveland Indians are. They've just proven that they just don't want to spend any money anymore. So Chris Bryant is, might be on the way out, hopefully by the trade deadline, and this is not something uh, that is going to plague them all season. Are they going to trade him? Are they not going to trade him? Uh, I think Rizzo is also on the table as well in terms of, you know, I don't think anybody is an untouchable uh, for this Cubs team. In terms of who's going to win it, I think we could both agree St. Louis with the addition oh, yeah. of Nolan Arenado. I, I think even before Arenado, I think St. Louis was a lock as probably winning this division in a close second. I, I believe in Milwaukee. I think Milwaukee had a down year last year. They, they finished second to last. They somehow still got a, got a wild card spot, which is wild. Uh, think about that. It just shows you how bad the NL was last year, but yeah. Uh, extra I, playoff teams help too. Yeah, that, that does help. Definitely. I, I think, um, I, I think that Cincinnati and Pittsburgh are going to fight for the title of who's going to be the worst team in the division. Uh, and yeah, I think this comes down to St. Louis with sort of the same situation that we see in the central uh, St. Louis in front and Milwaukee kind of looking over their shoulder to see if they could capitalize on some possible, you know, late, late uh, regular season snag that they hit at any point. One playoff team or two in this division. I'm saying one. I don't think Milwaukee is good enough. Yep, I agree. I think there's one. I think the Cardinals will win the division. I actually think the Cardinals will win fairly convincingly. I think I think we're talking at least 15 games ahead. Yeah, I think I think Milwaukee competes for a little while, but I actually think this Milwaukee team is a little overrated. I know they just added Jackie Bradley Jr., which is very interesting because it now means that their defensive outfield is the best defensive outfield in baseball. With Yelich yeah. and Kane and Bradley Jr., that is the best defensive outfield in baseball. What I question is whether they will be able to pitch in the starting rotation for a full season because they don't have a lot of depth there. And I question whether their lineup is going to hold up for a full season because what was once a potent offensive lineup has now divulged into Christian Yelich, Lorenzo Kane, and a lot of guys that can run into the baseball. And that's about it. Um, Keston Hura, the young kid at first base, really nice player, but he's going to need some time mentally at the plate to develop into his own. Colton Wong, really good move, but not adding you a whole heck of a lot in terms of the offensive end. Again, he'll hit, you know, 270, 275, but that's about it. That was more of a defensive move and a move for the clubhouse. I, I don't think this team is as good as it once was, and I think it's resting a lot on the shoulders of Christian Yelich and Josh Hader being able to close every single opportunity that he gets. So I think yeah. they compete for a little while, but I'm with you. I think ultimately this is the Cardinals division to lose. Yeah. And I think the Cardinals even to win this division at sub 90 games. I think that's a real possibility. Yeah. And uh, you hit the nail right on the head with the uh, Milwaukee game plan. I think they're banking on Yelich to have a year this year that he had two years ago and Josh Hader to get five outs a game. I don't, I think that's what it comes to. Yeah. Um, so, and, and yeah, uh, I think St. Louis has this division locked down possibly by the end of August, if not sooner. Mm-hmm. Me too. All right. 
All right. So uh, any closing thoughts? Um, we got March Madness starting, I guess, the, the playing games are Thursday. We got actual games starting on Friday. Uh, the Rangers are just they're not looking good. They're trending. Um, <laughs> I mean, if you watch the game last night, you know exactly what I mean. I mean, that Kincaid save at the end i i could go on and on about it, it was just embarrassing how he just sprawled out like that sterkin's hurt for the unseeable future uh and you can't just rely on alex your give to be your saving grace so you know tough tough times at the garden the islanders are playing very well top of the division looks like the early 70s right now uh and then jets do you think there do you how many how many big moves do you think are left on the jets I'll give you a closing prediction for the Jets. All right. Okay. I will say by the time we film next, which is in a couple days, that the Jets have signed multiple secondary pieces, whether that is William Jackson, Richard Sherman, Kawan Williams is a nickel, nickel corner from the Niners. I think that one's the lock. That last one's the lock. I think the Jets will have signed multiple secondary pieces. And I believe that the New York Giants are going to land Kennedy Holiday. I hope not for the price tag that they're predicting. <laughs> I'll tell you that. I really do. Uh, all right. Well, uh, like Jordan uh, teased a little bit, we'll be back on Thursday. Uh, hopefully, Probably by then when we're recording, we'll be talking about some college games as they are playing. Hopefully the Giants do not spend a lot of that money on, on Galladay. But uh, yeah, that's been it for today's episode of the Empire State of Sports podcast brought to you by the Say It Again Network. I'm Adam Danker. He's Jordan Katz. We'll talk to you on the next one, everybody.